0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On The Money, presented by Embassy National Bank.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss, your moderator. This is On The Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And as you know, Embassy National Bank loves to help small business. And this program is designed to put people in front of you that can teach you about different pieces of your business. And um, today, uh, we've got an exceptional guest that we're going to talk to. We're going to talk about uh, communication, very important element in today's world, Uh, always been important, but especially in today's world. So I bring you Dr. Bill Lampton, who is the CEO and founder of Championship Communication. Bill, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Very good to be with you, Joe. I've been questioned by bankers before, but never on the radio. (laughs)
1: i'll keep it tame (laughs) okay good deal um you don't borrow any money from me so we can keep all this just a real nice friendly conversation
0: i've borrowed to my limit
1: sure um well tell us about championship communication what what's your specialty what do you do uh how long you've been doing it and um give us an idea of um how you think you can help
0: folks with this with this concept Appreciate the question, Joe. Championship Communication is a company that I started in 1997. It was the second career, really third one, because I launched my communication career teaching speech communication at the University of Georgia, then followed that with 22 years in management. During the time that I was in management, I made many, many mistakes in communication. I observed other people making them, and so I began to get the urge to help people reduce those and have their organizations operate more effectively both internally and externally. That's why I launched my company. My emphasis now, I began primarily as a keynote speaker, but I transitioned, still do that as opportunities arise. But I now focus on several other avenues. One is I'm a communication coach for companies, both large companies and small companies. As I put it, I'd like to help them identify their communication problems and, more importantly, find solutions to them. Then secondly, Joe, I'm a speech coach because I taught Speaking at the University of Georgia because I've been a professional speaker. I like to help people, not just professional speakers, but I like to help people, as I put it, learn to speak with poise, power, and persuasion. So I work very closely with people at all levels of business who want to become more effective in addressing audiences. And then in the last couple of years, I had, I, I would guess, for 15 years or so, I've been producing videos, instructional short videos, I have a good number of them on YouTube and on other places. But in the last couple of years, I decided I wanted to help other people, business people, learn how to produce their own videos. The reason we can do that now is it's much simpler than it was two to three years ago. It's much more cost effective. And I can train someone, if they have an iPad or an iPhone, when I direct them, help them order a $4.99 app and spend a couple of hours with them, they can begin, surprisingly, producing their own videos, which are, have, have many of the components of what you would see on television. They can put music background. They can have captions. They can have a fade in and fade out. They can edit remarkably easily. So that that is, um, we, of course, for many years, people have presented their business wares in print, and then we got big into audio. Well, if you're not into video now, you're well behind the competition. So that's sort of an overview of the way that, I help people. My motto is helping you finish in first place as a champion would.
1: I'm already empowered. I'm going to go take on the wood, take on the world. Um, You mentioned your desire. You said you identified um, uh, there were some mistakes that you made along the way. And I like that because most people learn from other people's mistakes and they do successes. So Give, us, give me an idea of what some of the major mistakes that you used to see that said, okay, we can fix that, maybe that you made or that you saw made.
0: We could spend an entire afternoon on that. <laughs> but just a single-eyed few. One, one of the major mistakes that I saw, we, we've talked already, Joe, about training people to give presentations, and that's vital, how to express what you want, whether you're in sales or you're in customer service or whatever you're in. But also, I found a great gap. We don't really teach people very much about listening skills. And in my observation, listening skills are are among the most powerful communication skills we have, and yet they're the most neglected. And one of my favorite chapters in any of the books that business leaders like you have read would be stephen covey's chapter five where he said seek first to understand and then to be understood joe you and i know that's backward from what most of us want Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of us say hey listen to me hey (laughs) understand me i want you to get my point but all the time we're not open we're not listening and so in every seminar that i teach with every person that i coach I bring a great deal of emphasis on not just sending messages, but being a very keen listener. And as you know from your long experience in banking, this is very, very important in sales and customer service.
1: I want to get on that point because a lot of times the most effective salesman is not the one that comes in the door talking, but the one that comes
0: in asking questions. That's right. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite sales trainers, known nationwide, Jeffrey Gittimer, possibly you've heard of Jeffrey Gittimer, he's written a number of books on sales, he's, he's uh, lectured very widely on it, and in his books, he constantly repeats this phrase, if you're telling, you're not selling. <laughs> and and the 100%. old style school of sales, as you and I know, was you had a memorized Spiel, you went in. You gave that. You gave the clothes, and you thought you ought to make a sale because of that.
1: Um, in the overall scheme of things, uh, how important is the ability to present to communicate? Um, Talk about that a little bit, because those those of us who tend to be more technically and and uh, oriented or are not necessarily people-oriented still have a need to be able to effectively do that. So talk about how important that is.
0: It's very easy to answer that one, Joe. If, If we look at who are the people, particularly at leadership level, who are the people who are going to be hired? They're going to be the people who, when they sit down before a committee and they're asked, tell us what you would do if you were in this job. What's your... What's your outlook on our company's future? How would you approach our customers? The people who are going to be hired are the ones who can, if they have 10 minutes or 15 minutes, can make the most effective presentation. Later on, who are going to be the people who are promoted, the ones who get top management positions? Who are they going to be the ones who become leaders and the civic organizations are charitable and are charitable organizations those are very easy questions to answer it's going to be the people who can present their ideas clearly effectively and persuasively um you're talking about sitting down for an interview
1: or or getting ready for a board meeting or maybe a, a presentation um how important or how do you how do you typically do it do you have a very planned spiel or do you just get a framework and
0: you just let it flow how do you do that what's your thought on that if i'm making a presentation mm-hmm. if i'm making a presentation i like a very good concept and to me one of the worst one of the worst and old style uh, presentation approaches is, okay, I've got this concept and therefore I'm going to write it all out. And it, it, it needs to be written. Well, that's a big mistake for several reasons. One is that written language is very different from spoken language. Written language is far more formal. It's, it's, um, it could resemble sometimes legalese. It's got a, a vocabulary that we don't use in talking. So my approach has been, and this is the approach that I use when I'm coaching clients who want to become effective speakers, I call it get a keyword and key ideas outline. And I don't even like for people that I'm working with to go through a large number of rehearsals. What's wrong with rehearsals? I mean, actors rehearse, don't they? Sure. But actors have an exact specific script and not only that they have to interact with others while they're presenting and if they change the script it throws the whole thing off so i i suggest to those that i'm working with and this is the the approach that i follow is imagine that you're having a conversation with your audience you've got a few key points what does it matter exactly how you say it they don't and i I call this a speaker's trump card because i don't know much about playing cards but i did play enough in my fraternity house to find out that Mm -hmm. if you got the trump card, you're in pretty good shape the speaker whether it's to a small group in an interview session as you suggested or whether you're speaking to 600 or a thousand people the speaker has the trump card Because only the speaker knows what he or she intends to say, meant to say, or missed saying. This is one reason when we're driving away from a presentation, we shouldn't be beating ourselves up saying, gosh, I left this out or I said this wrong. So in other words, to to pull this together, I believe don't have it written out, don't rehearse it, jot down some key ideas, and when you stand to speak don't have 50 note cards before you i used to tell some of my students are you planning to cut shuffle or deal <laughs> there were there they were there with 50 index cards and another thing don't stand behind the podium that's deadly in itself that just spells lecture which is the greatest cure for insomnia sure that any one of us know if you need your notes somewhere have a have a have your host Put a little small table aside. Don't refer to your notes very often. You should know your topic well enough and recognize that exact wording is not so important. Get your ideas across. That's what we do in conversation.
1: Now, is being an effective communicator, is it a gift or is it a learned behavior?
0: Some people have more of a gift for it, just as some people have more of a gift for You mentioned your skill in technology. Somebody has more skill along those lines. Some people have more skill music-wise, which I missed out on entirely. But some people naturally have maybe more gifts than others, and yet at the same time with the right instruction, the right coaching, the right mentors, with dedication to improving your skills, and clearly with increased opportunities to do that so the best practice in other words is a practice before a real live audience Well, and
1: i was it's kind of a loaded leaded question because um let's say you are a uh um uh, you don't feel like you are a good communicator but yet you find yourself in a role where communication is key let's say you're a uh an attorney let's say you're a cfo um uh so what do you do in that in that respect it, that's something that you've you really have to take time to learn don't you
0: yes you do now some people have found toastmasters effective and the uh, the experience that, that i've had with toastmasters and believe me i'm not knocking the organization because it's been helpful for a good number of people one of the uh one of the the gaps that I think Toastmasters leaves is that it concentrates almost entirely on delivery. We need to con- concentrate on content as well. Uh, a few of the Toastmasters meetings that I would attend, I would think the person had given a very good, compelling, informative presentation. But the person who was evaluating the speaker might say, gosh, you know, you said, uh, seven times. <laughs> I, I that's that's not all that communication is about. And here's another point, Joe, that I tell people quit trying to be perfect when you speak. We don't want a robot up there. We don't don't want a wooden personality. This is not a recitation. Again, it's a it's what I call animated and of course well-informed conversation. And when I'm coaching someone and I hand them a page which says, stop trying to be perfect, I misspell the word perfect (laughs) (laughs) purposely so they'll get the point. And in my own experience as a speaker, I can still remember I've um, been fortunate enough to, to be married to my childhood sweetheart for many, many years now. She attended a good number of my presentations and I could always tell when we got in the car to drive away what she thought of it is she was very silent. I I knew there were some things we needed to go over. And one time I thought I had really botched it. I, I thought I'd blown a lot of lines, I thought that I'd stuttered a few times, I thought that maybe I looked like I'd missed my place. And she said to me afterwards, "That's the finest presentation I've ever heard you give." And I said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "You've heard me maybe a few hundred times. What what was special about that one?" She said, "You you were a real person. Well, wow. <laughs> you you made mistakes. Um, you you bumbled here and there. And you and I and uh, our friend Mike Salmon." Have you ever gone, I'm, I'm sure we have, we've gone on, onto YouTube and you type in TV bloopers. And right, you, you those look, are the funniest ones. That's right, those are the funniest ones. And what newscaster, th- the highest professional of level of communication that you can get, which ones haven't botched words or forgotten where they were or named the wrong city? And, and yet being human is, is a central part to communication there's that old saying in hollywood we can get by as long as we fake sincerity mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not true when you know people usually
1: ferret you out pretty quickly yes let me stop for a minute you're listening to on the money brought to you by embassy national bank this is joe moss your moderator and we're having a very good conversation with dr bill lampton who uh owns and uh founded championship communication so um dr bill is that what we i guess that's what i should probably call you right dr bill well then uh, better than mr bill huh?
0: right <laughs> i've been called a lot of things right bill uh, is fine um, whatever
1: we're talking about kind of speeches and presentations but let's just go to the day-to-day run of the mill you don't ever think about
0: communication because that's what we do most of the time Correct. Mm-hmm.
1: okay and let's talk about it from uh, the the presidents of a the, the owner and CEO of a, of a small business. Um, all of a sudden, he picks up the phone and says, uh, uh, finds a customer on the other end. What should, when he, he doesn't know what that customer's going to say, but what should he be ready for? How does he prepare himself mentally for that conversation?
0: I'll share with you something that I learned from the president of a pest control company in Virginia. I had the privilege, Joe, of speaking to the Virginia Pest Control Association, and prior to that, of course, I talked to several of the leaders, talking to them about communication, what some of their skills and approaches were, and one of the company presidents, who also happened to be president of the association, said to me, Bill, there's a great lesson that I learned about customer service, and I said, what was that? He said, I call it non committal listening. I said, What's non committal listening? He said, It's the opposite of what most of us do in customer service. Most of us, when a customer comes in and makes a complaint, what do we do? We immediately get defensive. We try to prove them wrong. We try to stand up for the employee who might be involved or the policy, God help us, <laughs> that right. might be involved. He said, One day I decided, What if or I. Or we immediately try to fix it. That's right. Keep going. I'm sorry. That's right. We do. And so he said, what if I just had the practice, what if I initiated the practice of noncommittal listening where I just listen and I encourage the complaining customer to keep talking? So he started doing that, and he would say things to them like, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more. What happened next? Well, how did that make you feel? And then eventually he would get to, well, tell me, what what solutions do you think would make you happy? The most interesting thing to me, Joe, was he said that as he began to get very comfortable with that approach, he found out it was by far the best approach, and so it became his only approach in dealing with complaining customers. And he said in so many instances, after about 10 minutes, the customer would say to him, Oh, Mr. Riley, I, I need to apologize. I've taken so much of your time. I, I really shouldn't be bothering you. I
1: wish our customers were <laughs> like that.
0: Uh, but I
1: get what you're saying mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, in, in uh, I'm, I sense or I immediately sense that a customer is going to want me to make a decision at that moment mm-hmm. and fix it. But in a lot of respects, if you don't have all the information – it's kind of hard to fix something you don't know about yes and uh, so it's best just to listen as you say be noncommittal uh, find out what's going on and then say well you know I need some time to think about this and let me find out what's going on and I will get back to you um, I have found that's probably the best way to handle like a customers checking account as opposed to saying well I'll give you the money back or I can't mm-hmm. believe so-and-so did that or
0: whatever Um, but it boils down to it seems to me from my management experience and from dealing with prospective customers of my own right now most people if you will listen to them you have first of all calmed down the issue you've cut down the heat because many times they come in just wanting to be heard. And that's the frustration. Many. Well, they come in mad, yes. emotional, and yes. wanting to be heard. That's right. And, and if you hear them, you've come a long way. You've gained their respect for one thing. They, they, they sense, as you say, we can always sense whether you really do have the integrity of what you're saying. That's very easy to sense, and if if they sincerely feel that you're doing that noncommittal listening, not as a ploy, not as a gimmick, but you really want to know what they're thinking, feeling, and needing, you've come a long way with them.
1: Well, let's go back to the whole concept of training and learning and things like that. Um, For me, that sounds like a pretty simple lesson to learn. In fact, it's easier to ask questions and to just listen sometimes than it is to try to fix it right there on the site. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those of us who are out there and go, you know, hey, I get mad, et cetera, those kind of things. Take a deep breath and start asking questions. No one's asking you to fix anything right on site. Just wait,
0: get the facts, do some research, come back. Let me see if I can remember Covey's five levels of listening. He said, The first level is ignoring. Now, Joe, you and I would never be guilty of that, ignoring somebody who's talking. No, we'd never do that, would we? I try not to. (laughs) And secondly, he says pretending we're looking at somebody and we're giving them eye contact and we uh, or your mind somewhere else. Yes, you're thinking, gosh, what did my wife tell me to pick up on the way home, right. milk or bread or what was it? And the third level is selective listening. In selective listening, we listen to the part that is pleasant. So that for example, you're you're giving a performance and uh, appraisal to an employee and you're telling them first all the good things that they accomplished that year. They're, they're wide open and listening, and they're receptive. But it becomes selective listening, Joe, when you start saying, now there are some things we need to work on. They tune you down or out at that time. Next level is attentive listening, good. We're finally paying attention, and people can tell we're paying attention. But of course, Covey taught, and we have all learned the power of it, that the highest level is empathic listening call that say that again empathic listening okay where we're not only listening for the words but we're trying to get the meaning and we're trying to get the feeling and this is why when you're talking to that arate customer you would say to them after you've listened to them now let me get this straight here's what i think you're saying and here's Here's what I think you're expressing and feeling. This is called reflective listening, and it has tremendous power Mm -hmm. because it shows people that you were not just attentive, but that you were picking up on, I think it was Peter Drucker who said that the the real meaning in communication takes place between the words, and that's what you're doing. You're going between the words and and getting their feelings and their needs.
1: Wow, we could get into all kinds of stuff as it relates to— the the message between the words mm-hmm. um all right let's let's fast forward because some of these issues we're gonna have to come back to at a different time because i'm already thinking that this is real important and there's a lot of stuff to talk about within communication but let, let me fast forward um i'm giving a uh, an evaluation to an employee how should i prepare myself for that what should i be thinking in terms of my m- communication mode
0: one of the uh, one of the strategies to me that i would recommend joe would be that you sense what would be the best way to open the conversation with this particular employee for example you and i were talking before the broadcast about the DISC system.
1: You led me right into it. You you followed my trail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The DISC system of personal style analysis and the D of course being the dominance style, the I being the influence, the S the steadiness and the C the compliance. So if you have an employee that you're going to be giving that evaluation to, if they are a very high I type, meaning that they love influence and they love people and they love being stroked, before you get into the nitty gritty, you probably say, "Betty, how's the family doing?" Betty, have you had a vacation? Tell me what's going on with that. You know, you, you—that person wants you to establish relationship before you get to the business. Um. Good point. Now,
1: as a as a how do you learn this disk stuff? Should you are you saying you should survey all your employees? Should you just study it yourself and just kinda learn how you think the employees are? What's the best way to do that?
0: It would be exceptionally valuable in any company if every employee had an opportunity to take the disk assessment and you and I know we don't call it a test because right. there's, there's no pass-fail, there's no grade. I call it a survey form. Take the DISC survey form, get your report, and then have the opportunity to sit with someone who's trained in this and talk with them for an hour about what this really means. What does it say about you? You remind them, first of all, that, again, it's not a test. And you also say to them that this is merely the way other people observe you. And so that they observe you as being either, uh, you could be a high dominant type as we said, or you could be a person who relies mostly on influence, or you're a good steadiness team player, or you're that old rule book Rudolph, the highly compliant type. Now, what's happened in the training that I've done with companies on that is when you get a group together, they've had the DISC survey, they've gotten their reports, and they sit down. If you approach it in the right way, it's it's um, it can be even a team-building experience because you're sitting in this room with 20 people who've taken that, and let's say I'm the facilitator, and I begin describing it, and I say, here we are now, and we've got the D-type, and somebody says, hey, that's old Fred over there. <laughs> we all know that's Fred. And it, it, it opens a group up to start saying, this is who we are,
1: but that's okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter that we're different. That's just the way we are. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and one of the illustrations— It does I, take all kinds. Yes, it does take all kinds. What company could exist unless it had the person who drives people towards the goal— or what company exists if it didn't have the I-type, the cheerleader, or the S-type, the one who pulls a team together? But you've got to have that C-type who pulls you back to reality and say, hey, look, we got a budget. We've got well, we have a,
1: we have a lot of uh, S and Cs in the banking world, especially mm-hmm. on the Cs. And, um, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of that, and I'll, I'll just go out on a limb here. I'm a fan of that. But I don't believe that a company ought to be run that way, but it's certainly a piece of the puzzle that can really help you understand who's, um, who's working for you and who's in your company. And a lot of times you'll find someone, you'll scratch your head sometimes and realize, you know what, I got the wrong person in the wrong job. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of that is, is that if you realize that, you can put them in another job and watch them flourish.
0: And this is why a number of companies – there's one company in Atlanta that for the last 15 years has not hired anybody until I've given that candidate the DISC assessment because it, is it helps them see, is this person the right person for this position? It doesn't mean that they're, not, that they're not a capable, well-trained worker, but are they the right one for this position? And I applaud you, Joe, for saying – when someone's in the position and they're not the right one for that, don't just get rid of them. They're capable people or you wouldn't have hired them in the first place. Find the niche where they fit.
1: Uh, we um, And I don't know how I ended up on that at some point, but I remember being in a company and I had 25 people and we had to get, only could keep 20 of them. And it was just logical to me. I want to identify who my top 10 people are. And I go to them, and I say, look, you're going to hear some stuff, but let me tell you, it doesn't matter. You're still going to be with us. You may not have the same job, but you're still going to be with us. So we separated the people from the job, and then we started placing people, and it made a big difference. It made a huge difference. Um, And that's a big thing that a lot of folks, a lot of the large corporations just say, we're going to clean out this one whole job sector. And, um, you know, it hurts people a lot, hurts families. You know, when you fire one person, you're just destroying a life. Uh, You know, usually there's a family back there. Somebody's counting on them, et cetera. Um, So that's why I think it's real important to evaluate the people differently from the job.
0: Yes. And and Joe, you and I both read the same survey reports in the last six months to a year that somewhere around 72 percent of workers in america are disengaged at work one of the major reasons they're disengaged i would venture is that they're just not in the right spot
1: could be um and you know the the one thing also disc doesn't measure is values and um, what i always like to try to think about is is how someone um, measured on the disc profile but i'm really careful to make sure i try to understand someone's value system me that's almost more important if they've got strong values consistent with what i see needs in a company then we can find a spot for them mm-hmm. um well let's let's go to another sector we uh we talked about uh we talked about customers we talked about uh, we talked about uh employees now if you're if you're in a marketing, you as president of the company, you're having to market yourself to, to somebody else. Um, a banker for money, um, another company for acquisition, for, for purchase. What, how do you gear yourself up for that? What are, what are the key points that, that you've got to remember when you walk into an environment like that?
0: First of all, know very well the people that you're going to be presenting to. Um, If you're just giving a speech even, audience analysis is very important. If you're dating somebody, audience analysis is very important. And if you're going to talk to someone about an acquisition or a merger or a cooperative venture, you certainly need to know that company's history. You need to know its, its financial structure. You need to know its goals and as much about the people involved as you can.
1: Um, you're listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. This is Joe Moss, your moderator, and we're talking to Dr. Bill Lampton about championship communication. Right now we're uh, we're talking about a business owner walking into a, a group for a, a purpose, and uh, the first thing uh, Dr. Bill is suggesting is you get to know your audience beforehand.
0: Yes. So and c- continue down that road. Well, something else I would say – and and i've seen this i've i've seen this illustrated several times don't depend on flash technology to sell your program for you it's nice that we have powerpoint it's nice that we have other ways of showing our visuals, that's, that's all very good. But you're probably not going to wow somebody just by your technology, why? Because we've all got technology. Our other people who are making presentations are going to have technology. And getting back to the listening part, there's a well-known consultant, Alan Weiss, who's, who's written a great deal about marketing and presenting yourself and entrepreneurship. And Alan I've heard him speak and one of the most fascinating speeches I heard him give. He was talking about one company he went to, and Alan was one of maybe a dozen consultants who was trying to become the consultant for that company. He said that he went in, and we'll get back to what we were talking about about listening. He said for an hour and a half, Alan Weiss talked to the CEO of the company and did nothing but ask questions, just nothing but ask questions. And when it was over, Alan got the, the job. And the man said to him, Mr. Weiss, you know more about our company than anyone who has ever been here for an interview. It's because he was open and he was asking and he said of all the consultants who were making presentations, he was the only one who did not make a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, my goodness. mm mm-hmm.
1: Um, one of the things in uh, back in the days of uh, uh, KPMG consulting in, in my world is that we were always taught to identify the problem and write the proposal to fix the problem and how you would deal with it. So um, our, our we were always taught in a sales kind of environment that uh, you got to figure out what the issue is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they can... A lot of times people come in and, and sell their credentials, um, and that, you know, if you weren't, if I didn't ask you here, I didn't trust your, you know, I trusted your credentials. If, let's put it this way. If I didn't trust your credentials, I wouldn't have brought you here in the first place. So a lot of times um, you don't have to put that out on the table because then you're going to spend 15 minutes talking about yourself, and then you look at your watch and say, oh, I got another 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do?
0: And then you're lost. And then you're lost. It reminds me of something I was taught quite early on in promoting my own business. I had several wonderful mentors, friends, uh, coaches. And I remember a phrase that kept coming up over and over. And that is, and is relevant to what you're saying, Joe, don't present your features, present your benefits. And, and features would be the credentials. Hey, I've I've done this or I've got these degrees or here are our customers or so on. That's all very nice. But as you're saying, that's almost a given. You wouldn't be here if you hadn't done those things. But the point is, what can you do for us? What can what what can you do to solve our problems? I, I like what you said. It's a problem solution situation. Mm-hmm. And the person who's going to make the sale, get the contract establish a new partnership is the one who solved a problem
1: right right um and then the other thing and i think it's important for anybody is um um if you're even if you're one-on-one situation with a customer or another vendor a rule of thumb i've always tried to follow is never ever ever trash your competition because you may sound good doing it. You may think you sound good doing it, but the other person on the other side is probably thinking, this is pretty trashy. Um, I've, always, I've always talked worlds about my competition, uh, and then I've turned it around to talk about what we can do, not necessarily what they can't do. Or I'm not going to sell what they can do, but I'm going to say, hey, they're well-respected. They've done really good work. I'm sure they can help you, but let me tell you how I can help you.
0: I can remember in my own experience on that, I was a development officer at a college. We were hiring a company to direct our major fundraising capital campaign. We interviewed about five companies. And one of the three finalists came in to see me one day and he said, Bill, you know, this other company, you don't want them because they just can't. I immediately discounted him because the one who made the statement, why did I discount him? Because if his only claim to fame was that somebody else was worse if, if he didn't have something positive to stand on i shook hands and very graciously uh sent him a, a letter we appreciated your having come by to see us sure um we're
1: out of time uh this is really i wish we had more time and we can do this again because there's a lot of things to talk about here but um uh I want to thank you first, Bill, for being here. Bill from uh, Championship Communication. And um, give us some parting wisdom, if you will, if you can, of, of the subjects that we – what do, what would you want to bring out of this that you think was the most important thing
0: to finish with? I think I would say that communication is is the central core of how we relate – to anyone, whether it's on a personal level or a professional level. I would go back to what you and I observed earlier in the program, that it's not necessarily just a gift that we can learn, Unfortunately, fortunately there are mentors, there are coaches, there are many resources for learning to improve our communication. I'm working every day to improve mine. I have some terrific mentors, some who've been with me for 10 or 12 years. And, I, and I'd like to uh, wind up with a, a phrase of Daniel Webster's where he said, if I were to lose all of my possessions except one, I would save the power of communication for by it I would soon regain all of the rest. That's a good point. So,
1: you know, and one, your communication for any job, any job, whether it be accounts payable, whether it be customer service, whether it be, um, you know, the the owner dealing with his his, uh, tax accountant, um, communication is such a big, big, big part of that. And if, if you don't feel like you're good with that, then it is, it is can be a learned behavior. You need to take time and learn how you can get better with that. It's 90% of what we do out there. It is. I had uh, a old boss of mine, a controller, who said that we used to spend so much time on the numbers, uh, getting the numbers done, getting the numbers done, um, and then we'd save so little time on the back end for presenting, explaining. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're all messed up here we need to spend a lot more time on the back end so we spent a lot of time making the assembly of what we were doing more efficient so that we could spend a lot of time on the back end learning explaining describing presenting what we had
0: reminds me of that and we were just accountants Mm -hmm. interestingly enough you say that because i had an opportunity twice to work with a cpa firm directing seminars for them half-day seminars shattered my stereotypes joe liveliest group i've been with <laughs> had a great time with them
1: well listen uh dr lampton tell everybody uh your phone number your uh email address tell them how to get in touch with you
0: i appreciate that and and thank you so much for this opportunity to be with you i would love to do that again because as you say we we got a lot of topics we could con- continue to Absolutely. talk about My company is Championship Communication, the website championshipcommunication.com. Bill Lampton, L-A-M-P-T-O-N, phone number 678-316-4300. Based out of Gainesville, Georgia, but working nationally and sometimes internationally. As
1: long as it uh, doesn't snow and keep you up in that area of the (laughs) woods,
0: right? So,
1: this being uh, – By the way, why don't they make a, a regional airport up in Gainesville, Georgia? It'd be a great place.
0: Well, we've got an airport there. Yes, but you do. <laughs> it's not quite regional.
1: You could fly 737s <laughs> in there.
0: And, and, and I believe it was this week they said that I, – I don't remember the details, but larger planes can come in now because of some changes they've made in the runway. There you
1: go. Mm-hmm. There you go. So who knows? It may be the next – Uh, Berkeley of uh, or John Wayne Airport Airport of Atlanta, Georgia. Who knows? All right, we're getting off the track. But listen, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been On the Money brought to you by Embassy National Bank and your moderator, Joe Moss. We've had Dr. Bill Lampton on talking about communication. It's been a great conversation. And I guess what I grabbed out of all of it is something that uh, I had been taught since I was early, and that is listening Listening is the most important thing you can do to improve your communication. Uh, So everybody be good listeners out there. Um, Everybody continue to try to improve their listening skills. And we'll see you next time. And uh, appreciate your listening. And as I always say to you all out there, be real careful out there. And uh, have a good day. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks.